Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Surratt, and I serve as the Assistant Director for Leadership in the Center for Student Engagement at George Washington University. I'm also happy to be your host for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. My guest today is Dr. Kathy Guthrie. Dr. Guthrie is an Associate Professor of Higher Education in the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Studies at Florida State University. In addition to teaching in the Higher Education Program, Dr. Guthrie serves as the Director of the Leadership Learning Research Center and coordinates the Undergraduate Certificate in Leadership Studies, which is a partnership between the College of Education and the Center for Leadership and Social Change. Her research focuses on the learning outcomes and environment of leadership in civic education, online teaching and learning, and professional development for student affairs professionals. Dr. Guthrie is an editorial board member of the Journal of Leadership Education and Journal of College and Character. Currently, Dr. Guthrie is the associate editor of the New Directions in Student Leadership series and the editor of the Contemporary Perspectives in Leadership Learning book series. Dr. Guthrie received her PhD in Educational Organization and Leadership from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign in 2008. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know I'll, I'll stick strictly with Kathy henceforth. There were a lot of Dr. Guthrie's in that introduction, which <laughs> that, I know you don't love. So. That is for sure. <laughs> okay. Great. So we'll start off with our first segment, uh, which is called Rapid Fire. So I'm going to ask you a big, silly question and limit you to a 30-second response. Are you ready for rapid fire? I am. Okay, great. So I know you have a, a dissonant pair of uh, favorite bands. Can you share those two bands and explain how these choices work for you? <laughs> I do. I love Jimmy Buffett um, and his band, the Coral Reefer Band, but I also love Nine Inch Nails, which is industrial. And so I'm definitely a product of being in college in the 90s in Chicagoland area. And so love industrial, but also love just the Florida life with the Jimmy Buffett. And so both of them I like for different reasons, but both make me extremely happy and energized. Florida life, that sounds like a hashtag. Yeah, right? It should be, if it isn't already, right? <laughs> okay, great. Uh, okay, so where is America's best slice of pizza? Uh, as I mentioned, I was um, born and raised uh, south of Chicago, but then spent a lot of time in the Chicagoland area. So definitely have to go Chicago-style pizza, but there is a place in downtown Naperville, which is a western suburb of Chicago. It's called Lumon Abbey's, and it is actually an old converted fire station, and they put it, turned it into a um, pizza place. And so Lou's Everywhere is the best, in my opinion, but that specific store is just a really cool atmosphere because for me, it's not just about the food, but about ambiance and kind of that historical piece. So, yep. All right. I'm, I'm glad I was able to, to pin you down. I know that picking a best life <laughs> sounds like it, it was hard for you. So. It is, because I love all pizza. I'm a pizza connoisseur. I, every time I visit a new place, I try to find what pizza and is in that um, location, whether it's here in the United States or abroad. And but when I was started thinking about, well, what is the best? Well, that's it. It is Lumanati's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, so, how has being a mom provided new perspective on your work? Oh yeah. So I have a three-year-old girl, and so I think about this a lot. Um, and when I look at her and look at our young generation, she being a mom is part of that, but. She provides me purpose and hope. And so to have those two things is just really critical. Um, but when I wake up, I know why I'm doing the work. But she also provides me with hope that we can continue to change for the better in our 
our society and our world and all of the above, right? So purpose and hope. Purpose and hope. Yeah. We probably, probably all could use a little more of that. Yeah, isn't that the truth? All right. So uh, my last question here in Rapid Fire is a two-parter. So I know you commute frequently from Tallahassee to, or to Tallahassee from Tampa, which is a four-hour yeah. drive. So my questions are, how have you conquered the drive, and what is your favorite gas station snack? <laughs> favorite gas station snack? I, um, so the four-hour drive, I've, I've been doing this week for um, over six years now, and it really gives me time to think in that, that space. A lot of times when we quiet ourselves almost in our crazy time filled, we fill our time with things that it forces me, even I'm driving, it forces me to kind of slow down and really think. And so, but I, I also listen to my research. I'm a qualitative researcher, so I listen to interviews when I'm in the car and I really get into that. So the time actually goes by super fast. Four hours seems like a long time, but it's really not. And my favorite gas station snack, you know, I thought of this just the other day when I stopped, um, and I don't try not to stop during those four hours, but I did, and I, I always get my guilty pleasures, combos. <laughs> like the, combos. The combo snack, yeah. I was like, oh, I, oh, I never buy these unless I'm at a gas station. <laughs> so that would be my favorite snack. <laughs> Do you have a particular kind of combos that you prefer? Is there oh, yeah, favorite? totally. The nacho with the pretzel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the pretzel out. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, what is your favorite gas station snack is a really is a really classic icebreaker. I really do. It really yeah. is. <laughs> I mean, I had a friend one time who was like, oh, I love corn nuts. I was like, I don't even know what corn nuts what are. Those? Well, I had a friend that loves Funyuns, and I'm like, oh, are those still around? <laughs> like, ooh. Oh, yeah. funny. We're a smart food family. A lot of that white cheddar popcorn. That's what we, uh, that's what we do. <laughs> Only at the gas station on road trips. I don't buy there you go. So, okay, <laughs> great. So uh, our next segment is Higher Ed, Two Truths and a Lie. Uh, so, Kathy, I'm going to pre- provide you with two s- true stories from Higher Ed current events and one lie, and you're going to have to parse out the lie. The theme Ooh. this week is <laughs> protest. Ooh. All right. All right, yeah. <laughs> Very, uh, uh, I'm going to tell you, I did, uh, I've, I, I had to search very uh, hard and deep through uh, all of the uh, content that is available. There is not a lot of light higher education news out there this week. So this was, right. uh, this was my, my best attempt at it. Okay, so you're ready for your three options. I am. <laughs> okay, great. So your first option is that Denmark's parliament passed a bill that prevents students who earned a university degree from pursuing a second degree program in a different field at the same or lower educational level. Students are protesting the cost-cutting measure as the right to free higher education is seen as paramount in Denmark. So that's your first option is uh, uh, Denmark's uh, second degree program. The next option is that a graffiti artist recently tagged a 30 by 30 foot painting at the former Trump Institute in Boca Raton, Florida. The depiction shows the president taking money out of the pockets of unsuspecting people walking by, and the vandalism has since been removed. The Boca Raton police currently have no suspects in the crime. So, uh, so that is your second option. And then uh, the third option is in October, Amherst College dropped its informal mascot, Lord Jeff. The informal mascot was based on the English general for whom the town is named. Students, faculty, and staff vocally opposed the mascot as Lord Jeffrey Amherst, a.k.a. Lord Jeff, led, colonization, led the colonization of Massachusetts, and Lord Jeff initiated several inhumane methods, including infecting blankets with smallpox. 
Amherst recently announced a stellar list of crowdsourced semifinalists for the replacement mascots, including, get ready for this, there's some great options, the poet, <laughs> the moose, and the hamsters, which apparently is, a, uh, is an anagram for uh, Amherst. So, uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> So those are your three options. We have Parliament, we have Trump Institute and Boca Raton, and we have uh, Poets, Moose, and Hamsters. Oh, my gosh. So all of them sound like that could be real. Those could all be truths. I'm going to guess with Amherst is a lie. Mm. Well, no. uh, no, Unfortunately, Amherst – well, fortunately, Amherst is true. I I think it was (sighs) – I think it was a fine decision. I'm rooting for hamsters <laughs> myself as their mascot, but poets That's would also be great. good. There's some, some deep poet connections with Amherst. The Danish nice. Parliament one is also true, and the okay. uh, Trump Institute in Boca Raton one is false. Now, the, you that, know, was the, <laughs> that was the only physical <laughs> campus that, uh, that Trump, uh, a Trump-associated institution had was this one in Boca Raton. Right. So that, was the, uh, that was the source for my lie there. Oh, my goodness. Well, because I was like, I haven't heard anything about that. And I'm in Florida, but I'm far from Boca Raton. But I was like, hmm, that could be real. <laughs> so, could, could be real. Yeah, I, don't even, I don't even know what the building looks like from the former Trump Institute. But that was the only physical location. Yeah. Oh, that is so interesting. So interesting. Ooh, that's good. That is really good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm rooting for the hamsters. I'll send you an email when I find out what they, what they go with. I would love. Now I'm going to be following that because I want to know more about that. I'll have to look up that, what's going on in Amherst. Yeah, maybe there's a Twitter account for the hamsters. I would follow it. Um, <laughs> I would too. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, our next segment is called Getting to Know Kathy. So this segment is designed to help listeners understand you as a person and as a professional. So my first question is, what led you into student affairs? Oh, you know, I um, did my undergrad in finance and business administration at a small institution called North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. That's where the Lou Monadis comes in, right? And I um, had always, it's interesting because I'm a first-generation college student, and my father told me that when I left for college, he said, you're going to be a teacher. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and was not really thinking of being a teacher. And so went into business and Worked a little bit in the business field, a total of nine months, and actually hated every second of it. I wasn't having the relationships that I really that feed my soul and went back to my old advisor at North Central. Her name's Mary Reynolds and is still a huge mentor and um, person in my life. And she's like, you should really apply for, to be an assistant director of student activities. And I said, oh, really? And this is before I went and got my master's. And so it was one of those conversations that I was like, I, I can do this, right? This is something I could do for a career. And then um, under her guidance, got, you know, interviewed and got that position and really fell in love with this whole notion of being an educator outside of the classroom. Because, you know, that we all know that is what we do. We are educators, whether we're in the classroom or out of the classroom. And so really that um, led me into student affairs was having that lack of that and knowing that was important for me mm-hmm. and then getting into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so why from there, why leadership work specifically? You know, from student activities, then I went on to actually being really involved with community service, community engagement, and service learning and had many years that I served as the director of the Office of Volunteer Programs at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and then became a faculty member that was setting up service learning um, 
courses. And for me, I always had leadership as a part of that because for me, you have to have leadership and service. You know, for me, the service is being a leader. And so really that converted that passion and kind of sparked that passion of coming from a service background into the leadership kind of framework. And so really that was – it's interesting because higher ed, you can always kind of tweak a little bit of what you're doing until you find what really you're passionate about. And so I'm lucky that I was able to continue working on that piece that led me to leadership and leadership education specifically. Okay. Great. Uh, so yeah. now I'll ask you what is uh, always an easy question and which uh, I ask to, to every uh, guest on the podcast, which people almost always complain about. What <laughs> is your favorite book about leadership? Yes, yes. When uh, you gave me that heads up, you were asking that. I was, yes, I had actually pulled out several of my favorites and they're sitting on my desk right now. And I was like, so I just randomly pick one at the time? Or so knowing that I have two minutes, I could like just start saying all the ones that I'm, I really love. But I think um, the one most, not most recently, but within the last five years or so is Juana Bordes' work, Salsa, Soul, and Spirit, Leadership for a Multicultural Age. I think that her, um, this book, and then she has another book, The Power of Latino Leadership, really um, spoke to me in many ways and really got me thinking about this next generation of leadership scholars and leadership educators and leadership practitioners and so I really, I think right now, if I had to narrow it down, I mean, like I said, I have five I'm looking at right now, but that would be probably the one that comes to mind. And I've read it many times, but I think that is really a key piece that everyone should be reading. Okay, great. Thank you for your, uh, thank you for your yeah. time there. <laughs> Oof, that was hard. It was hard. <laughs> okay. All right, so um, – Sometimes I feel like asking leadership scholars what their favorite leadership book is is like asking my uh, is like asking my one and a half year old son what his favorite toy is. It's just tough. Yes, you know? just, it like, really just, is. Just <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> like just it's a real deep connection, you know. So, oh my goodness. Yep. All right, so we're going to transition into uh, the last segment, which is called six big leadership questions. So, uh, Kathy, your first big leadership question is. You serve as the associate editor of the New Directions and Student Leadership series. Can you provide an overview of how that series was developed and the general premise behind it? Yes. So uh, if you work in higher education, you probably know that Josie Bass has a, several series that start with New Directions, and there's a total of nine of them, and there are New Directions for Higher Education, New Directions for Student Services. We can, the list goes on. And in um, 2014, so now a few years, um, Joseph Bass was wanting to change one on youth development into new directions for student leadership. And um, Susan Comavez approached me and said, would you be willing to be the associate editor on this series? And of course, I was like, yes, please, that we need something in that, in that realm. And for those who don't really know, New Directions is grounded in scholarship. That's the foundation. But it really focuses on how it shows up in our practice. So we all know that different journals and different books have different focuses. Well, this is definitely focused on how then can we use this information, even though it's grounded in the scholarship, how does it show up? And so um, we started this process. And then in the spring of 2015, um, Dr. Julie Owen actually was our first New Directions um, series editor. 
and she really looked at innovative learning of leadership. And so this is an excellent, um, I think the actual title is Innovative Learning for Leadership Development, but it was in um, spring of 2015. And so this coming spring, any day now, the actually our whole, this will be our eighth issue should be out. And so each issue is stand, can stand alone and it's on a specific topic, but is really meant for leadership educators and practitioners to really dig in and be able to understand different kind of parts of leadership development for students. The other interesting part about this series as well, it's mainly focused in college. We do look at high school. So we pull examples because we know that leadership development starts way younger even than high school but hoping that we can tap into a high school market that can say, oh, okay, these are some things that I can use transferably to start educating in a high school environment that can start them for then when they move on to college. So, yeah. So uh, I know you're excited about the upcoming content from New Directions and Student Leadership. Can, so can you share a little bit of, of what we can be expecting this year? Yeah, so any day now, the um, Going Digital in Student Leadership, Issue 153, that is co-edited by um, Dr. Jesse Alquist and Lisa Endersby, should be coming available, becoming available any day now. And really excited because it looks at technology and how do we use that for student leadership. And so some of Josie Alquist's work, she has you know, six pillars of digital leadership education, and she really focuses on um, how do we incorporate technology, which I think we all know that is where we are at. And so this is an innovative look at, well, so then how do we do this appropriately, especially in engaging student leaders and student leadership, the process of it. Then another one that's going to be coming out in summer of 2017 is gender and leadership. And that's um, Dr. Paige Habercurran and Dr. Dan Tillipaw. They're, they've really did some excellent work and again, um, pushing the conversation forward about gender and leadership, not just male-female, but really looking at um, how are we using language, how are we um, really framing things in leadership development um, to really be open for how gender shows up for each of us individually. And so look out, look for that in the summer. And then the final one I would mention is um, Dr. Dave Rosh. He's at the University of Illinois. He is um, editing a series on the role of student organizations in developing leadership. And so looking at how can advisors, student organization advisors, really engage in this, because we, we all know that they are developing leaders and there's leadership conversation, but how do we do this intentionally and appropriately in whether it's discipline-based student organizations or general, however, social organizations, but how can we really focus on leadership development in, in those roles? And so really excited about the next few. We have probably the next, I don't know, five or six that are in the pipeline and people are working on. And so it's really exciting to see the innovative work coming through that is timely for what is happening in our, in our higher education system, in our country, and in our world. So, yep. Great. Yeah, no, I, that, those all sound really applicable and interesting. Um, yeah. so thanks for sharing that. Um, so you serve oh, as really? the director of the brand new Leadership Learning Research Center. So uh, I, I know a little bit about it um, from what you shared uh, in our previous conversation, but can you, uh, it seems like such an amazing partnership. So can you 
share an overview of, of that effort and what y'all are hoping to accomplish? Mm, absolutely. So, yes, the Leadership Learning Research Center just opened its doors actually this fall at Florida State. Um, and it is a very unique research center, I will say that. It is definitely a partnership between the College of Education, more specifically the Higher Education Program, and um, Student Affairs at Florida State, the, more specifically the Center for Leadership and Social Change. And it is really based off of, or maybe an extension is a better way of saying it, an extension of a partnership that we've been engaged in, um, the two entities, the College of Ed and the Center for Leadership and Social Change, for the Undergraduate Certificate in Leadership Studies at Florida State. So I arrived on campus in 2010, no, in 2008. When did I start? <laughs> 2008. And... Um, and the certificate program has been growing, and we've been doing research and really specifically around how do people learn leadership. Because when you learn how, when you understand how people learn leadership, then you can understand better how to teach leadership. And so the center um, was developed, and doors are open. And really, I think the unique piece besides the partnership is that we really focus in theory to practice to theory framework. We always hear um, about theory to practice but really then bringing it back because essentially, I mean, I see you need to have theory to then influence practice, but then you also need practice to influence kind of looking at theory again and foundational work. And so really seeing it as kind of a feedback loop of how do we continue to do that, which I think does happen in practice, but we don't call it that. And so really focusing on if we are really closely tied to the Division of Student Affairs and the Center for Leadership and Social Change where co-curricular and curricular things are happening, then how can we really understand that? But really the Leadership Learning Research Center, we're really looking to really inform and support educators and scholars and practitioners really focused on you know, leadership teaching and learning. And we see that we can do this through the scholarship that's coming out of the Research Center, curriculum development, um, and just even having opening the space for conversation. And so that is we have some really great research happening right now. Um, we're looking at leadership education programs across the United States and then eventually around the world. And what are people doing? Because we don't even have a clear sense of how many people are doing what in regards to leadership education. And that has been a lot bigger of a project than we ever could imagine um, because we, we tend to go down these rabbit holes and think, oh, that's such a cool idea, <laughs> right? And then um, mm. another area that we're really looking at is um, culturally relevant leadership learning. And so how do we set up environments um, for individuals from all walks of life, for all cultures to be included in this? Because we really see that identity, how you bring your identity it really is important when you're learning, not only leadership, but I think especially leadership. And so we're doing some work in, in that area about culturally relevant leadership learning. And then we're continuing to do some work on technology and leadership. How does technology show up? Can it help? Can it hinder? How do we be good digital leaders? Because our footprint is everywhere. And so how are we making sure that we are connected in that, in that way? And so we are... Um, really looking forward to the next generation of leadership educators and scholars. How are we pushing forward in some new you know, ways of learning um, and then also teaching, obviously. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds like a, a super exciting initiative. I hope that 
hope that y'all will have a great into your first year here. Um, yeah, uh, it is. So, <laughs> so we talked a little bit about uh, in our um, when we spoke on the phone previously about mm-hmm. a leadership course development. So I wanted to to I, I hope that you could share. Um, what are some resources that are available and necessary for developing a, a really positive leadership course? Yeah, so, you know, I think we are um, seeing a lot of, you know, emergence of some other types of resources out there. You know, great people at um, the Clearinghouse for Leadership Programs in Maryland folks have been doing this work forever. And so really tapping into some of the things that they have available at the Clearinghouse. Um, and then also the Leadership Educators Institute was just you know, this past December, which is a NASPA and ACPA collaboration with um, the Clearinghouse for Leadership Programs. And so that's a really great place to kind of engage in conversations around that. The other, I would say, resource for leadership educators, specifically with course development, is the International Leadership Association. They, in 2015, I want to believe, yeah, 2015 was the first year that they offered the Leadership Educators Academy, which is a cohort-based model that really bring something you want to work on, and then you have facilitators that have done, that are leadership educators and have done this work for a while, be able to really help in one-on-one consultation through this cohort kind of two-and-a-half-day process. Um, besides that, both ILA and the Clearinghouse have syllabi that are available. So if you're looking for that kind of that curricular-based leadership education, you can find that there. Also, um, the ILA, International Leadership Association, has a leadership education member interest group that really has some great you know, um, resources for folks to do course development. But I think when it comes down to it, when you're thinking about leadership course development, it is being intentional with learning outcomes and then pedagogy and how do you want to teach the concepts that you want to teach and what goes back to your, your learning outcomes. We're finding that there's huge gaps in books out there and textbooks for specific leadership concepts. We have, of course, the text that we use all the time about theory and you know certain models, but then we're really digging into other concepts, there are some missing pieces that I know there's a lot of folks trying to work on and to get those resources out there. And so, but I think also it's just really thinking through what, and being intentional. A lot of times I know that we, um, in the past, I know this was my experience, that we said, okay, this is what um, we were going to do for uh, developing a leadership education program because that's what what worked for me. Well, not everyone's a white woman like I am. And so, again, it goes back to that culturally relevant leadership learning. How are we really thinking through intentionally how we're bringing in different identities, different capacities, different efficacies, so that they can really engage in that leadership development process. And so it's great to see that there are more conferences and academies, and so much beyond kind of what you can find online in syllabi, which is always a great place to start, but to think through how should this really look and at with a leadership course, whether it's a curricular-based course or a co-curricular-based course. So to, to sort of continue our conversation about, uh, about leadership courses, uh, you recently developed a leadership-specific course for graduate students at Florida State. Do you think that more programs uh, should incorporate those kinds of courses into the curriculum? Oh, absolutely. So this is in um, our graduate preparation program. And there's, you know, a few others that are out there that are doing this work as well. Ohio State and Maryland both have courses as well. 
think it's really unique because with leadership, one of the core competencies of our profession, that there is not more leadership um, courses. And so the course that I created is, you know, there's a little bit of how do you see yourself as a leader, but then it's mainly looking at how are you as a leadership educator. Because as we know in student affairs, you can end up at many different places around a division or working with students and training a leader or have a leadership development workshop or something of that nature. We can call it all different things, but it's essentially what you're asked to do. It's part of the job responsibilities. And again, it goes back to my comment before. When I was um, a practitioner, I was asked to do that. And I was like, oh, well, how do I do this? I really don't know, so I'm going to do it based on what worked for me. And again, my story is only one story. And so how could I expect that to work for everyone? And so engaging in that conversation has been great um, with our diverse master's courses, but I, I do, uh, or master's students, I do believe that it should be a part of more um, programs. You know, for us, it's a requirement, but I could see it definitely being elective. So for students who are interested specifically in that, that they could engage in this um, different conversation about being a student affairs professional and being a leadership educator. So mm-hmm. definitely there's a lot of work to be done in this area. And again, this is an example of a textbook. There's not really a good textbook for that. And so, um, you know, trying to pull from other resources to say, okay, we're going to read this and this and this and this and putting it together to really try to make something um, appropriate. And again, so that, you know, future student affairs professionals can say, okay, I can do this. I have developed this competency not only in the classroom, but I could engage outside the classroom as well in my assistantship and my internship, my practicum to do this work. Yeah, yeah, I feel like, uh, well, and I feel like it's perhaps becoming more necessary as the, as the sort of corpus of literature becomes, uh, becomes larger and uh, sort of getting your arms around everything that, that goes into being a, an informed, knowledgeable uh, leadership practitioner is, uh, is is becoming more of a challenge all the time. Um, so oh, I absolutely, that, mm-hmm. I think that establishing that baseline could be really could be really critical for folks who are interested. Yeah, and it's just even simple things like and they're not simple, but you know, simple things of the nature of trying to develop what is your learning outcome. Okay, so I want to teach them this concept. Well, then how do I teach that effectively? And really, you know, a lecture, a passive lecturer, which so many campuses do because that is what they are able to do. So no criticism or judgment on that, but how, how can we then maybe do follow-up, you know, processing forums or town hall meetings or how do we then continue the conversation to make it, you know, usable for um, students and for educators to be able to provide those programs for students. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, my last of the six big leadership questions is uh, you conduct research on the professional development of student affairs practitioners. So what are some key findings from that research that are relevant for the podcast listeners to consider? Yeah, you know, so I um, have not engaged as much in this research lately because I got so into this leadership educator piece, which is professional development. So they are very similar. But I did do um, some pretty in-depth studies about um, new professionals in their transition from and socialization from assistantship work to full-time work. And one of the things that really struck me with this um, 
narratives of new professionals was really the role of self in the work that we do. And so I think a lot of times we get so caught up in learning student development theory and learning, you know, about what um, budgeting looks like and really the pieces that the, I don't want to say tedious pieces, but the really, you know, management pieces that we have to do on our day-to-day jobs that what was really striking was this moment to pause and think about how do we bring ourselves? So how are we present in the work that we do? How are we present for students? And how are we bringing our own selves into this work? Because I think we do. I talk to student affairs professionals every day that say how, you know, this isn't just a job but a vocation for them. And this is where their passion is. And so how are we bringing our role of self and our care of, you know, care of self into this? And so that is something really I think we don't talk about enough is how are we not only taking care of ourselves in this type of work, whether it's compassion fatigue, which, you know, is really big in traumatic um, like social work and in those areas, but how are we really making sure we're taking care of ourselves because we are dealing with, some tough situations every day, depending on where you're at in the functional area that you work in. But so that was the biggest thing with professional development is stopping and pausing about like, well, so why am I in this profession? One of the other, my favorite leadership books, I'm sneaking it in there, but um, is mm-hmm. Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And I think about that. So why are we in this profession? And sometimes stopping to pause and think about that can really help bring you, yourself back to that role of self in our work. Mm. Yeah. Well, that was a that was a very sneaky way of getting another book. In there. <laughs> right, I know. You, I, I've given you so much credit earlier. And I know, but I had to do it. But I think just that start with why, right? Just mm-hmm. why am I doing this work? Um, and this past weekend was the um, Dalton Institute for College Student Values at Florida State, and Dr. Beverly Tatum was our speaker, the woman who um, wrote. Why are all the kids, black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? And it's coming up 20 years, but she was talking about in her, her keynote about thinking about time and talent. And I'm still thinking about this. You know, this was Thursday, and this keeps ringing in my ears, time and talent, time and talent. And that really goes along with the, per, you know, professional development and student affairs professionals. Where is our time and talent most valuable? And so thinking about how do we fit into that or don't fit into that um, with student affairs. So just thinking about that why piece is so critical that we, we sometimes get so wrapped up in the day-to-day that we forget to do that. So. Okay. Well, mm. that is the, the last of our six big leadership questions. So thanks, everyone, for joining us for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. And thanks so much to Dr. Kathy Guthrie. Uh, Kathy, final question. If you had one bit of advice to give to an aspiring student leadership practitioner, what would you pass along? Ooh, I would say just to keep in mind that we're all learners, um, especially when thinking about leadership as a process and how we engage in it. Um, when we can frame our work as educators and practitioners, we can show up differently um, in how we learn. So just keep that in mind, that we're all learners as well as educators. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. So you can connect with Kathy at Kathy, that's K A T. H-Y-L Guthrie, and Guthrie is G-U-T-H-R-I-E on Twitter. I got a little nervous there. I'm bad at, I'm bad at spelling out loud. 
And then you can get more information on the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community on our various social media outlets, including Facebook.com backslash SALead, on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, on Instagram, at, uh, and that's NASPA underscore SLPKC. And you can also connect with me on Twitter, and that's at Miles, that's M-Y-L-E-S, underscore Surrett, and that's S-U-R-R-E-T-T. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we would love to hear about your program. So please shoot an email to NASA Leader Podcast at gmail.com. Kathy, thanks so much. Thank you.